Uh, I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you were here last week, you know Brad uh, showed a clip as part of his message, um, and it was from one of his uh, favorite movies, actually, A River Runs Through It. And he said one of the perks of being a part of the teaching team was you get to do that. And as I was prepping for my sermon, I thought about Brad's comment, and it was like, ding, ding, ding. And I realized, oh my gosh, what we're talking about today in Galatians, there's a movie scene from one of my favorite movies that totally relates to what we're talking about. And I was excited because one of my favorite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Love The Shawshank Redemption. How many of you seen The Shawshank? All right, cool. Yeah, well, if you haven't seen it, uh, it might get spoiled a little bit today, but you've literally had like 20, almost 25 years to see it. So I don't feel that bad about spoiling it. But in the movie, you have this main character played by Tim Robbins. His name's Andy Dufresne. And Andy is falsely accused of a couple of murders, and he gets locked in prison. And he becomes really close uh, with a guy who's played by Morgan Freeman, who goes by Red. And Red uh, is rightly imprisoned for wrongs that he did. He's been in there a long time. And he's the guy in prison who has all the connections. If you need a tool or something that couldn't be obtained in a typical way, you tell Red. Red lets his little network in the prison know. He gets you what you need. So these two guys, they've been locked up for quite a while. And they're having this conversation one day in the yard of the prison just about what the future holds. And so before we move ahead today and dive into God's Word, um, I just want to let this scene kind of set the stage a little bit. So check out this. Or get busy dying. It's such a simple but a really profound reality. It's so true. You just hear that and you go, oh my gosh, that's so true. You know, m most of us, we're living really busy lives, especially in our culture. You know, if you are living at all, it's probably not a question of if you're busy. It's probably a question of how much, just how busy are you? And I think Paul in Galatians, as he is just pulling out all the stops, he's clearly very worried about the people who he's writing this letter to in the first place. I think he would resonate very deeply with this thought of get busy living or get busy dying. I think he would say, yeah, that, that sums it up really well. You know, he was writing in Greek back in the day, and if they had a Greek way of conveying that, I bet you he would have slipped that in there. <laughs> and as we dive into God's Word, there's kind of some questions that we're going to be wrestling with that at the end, hopefully, we're going to get some answers to. And, you know, first thing, we're going to look at, well, are we getting busy living? Are we getting busy dying? It's important we wrestle with that. The other thing is, so all of us have been led here. All of us have been led not just to this place, but you're in a place in your life. You know, we heard Josiah's testimony about where God has led him and brought him um, to where he is now. Well, all of you have been brought there, good or bad, to where you are. And you need to ask, well, what brought us to this place? And finally, well, if that's where we've been brought, where are we being taken? And by whom are we being taken there? You know, because the truth is, it's all going to come down to this. When, when you put your faith in Jesus, which is what we talk about every week, which is what Paul is challenging people in Galatians to do, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get busy living. That is true living. And so if you want to go ahead and grab your phone, hard copy Bible, your tablet, whatever you use, version app, and flip to Galatians 3, uh, 15 to 25, we're just going to dive right into God's Word here in just a second. Uh, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just start kind of churning away in our hearts and our minds the, the work that we can't do there, uh, that He'll do that work, and then we just have to respond to it when it's all said and done. So here we go. Jesus, oh, Holy Spirit, um, man, you're good. <laughs> I, I can't even sum up the stuff that you do and how well you do it. I, 
I just ask now that as we're in this place, um, we've been going through Galatians. God, we're in chapter 3. Um, and I, I, I just ask that you won't let this truth escape us. Um, I pray that when we all leave these doors today, that we'll be ready to really live. And we'll get busy at that um, in a good, healthy sense uh, of just doing the work you've given us to do, God. Um, I, I pray... Um, I just pray against the spirit of confusion. Uh, God, I, I think the enemy just wants some of us to just uh, let this go in one ear, out the other, and just go on living the way we did. Uh, God, we don't want that. Um, I pray just against that spirit this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask just for your power to be here to protect this place, to make this a sacred space where we just we meet with you and we hear from you and we see what you're doing and we say, all right, I'm game, I'm in. And uh, Just show us something today in this will stick with us and that you'll use just as the seed uh, to challenge us as we go through the week. And in your name we pray together. Amen. All right. So if you haven't gotten a chance to join us, we're in this uh, book of Galatians. Galatia was this region uh, that was in modern day Turkey. And Paul had gone on this missionary journey and he had gone uh, pretty much through the southern part of Galatia and he'd planted a bunch of churches. And he had a tendency, he liked to follow up and keep contact. In the ancient world, you did that by writing a letter, by writing an epistle. And so um, we'll show the map real quick. Grace will throw that up here if you're wondering where this is. So there's the Mediterranean. And if you look, there's Galatia. And you see some of these towns, Derby, Iconium, Lystra. These are the towns that this letter gets circulated to. And I mentioned a minute ago, Paul's this deeply concerned man. And it's because he looks at this equation that they're using for living their life, and he realizes the equation doesn't balance out. Uh, and, and understand, these are his brothers and his sisters in Christ. These are really kind of his spiritual kids. He planted this church. They see him as a father figure. And he looks and realizes they're thinking, uh, well, you know, these people came to town and are preaching, we know you've got Jesus, but you don't just need to follow the law of Christ. You've got to follow the Old Testament law or, or, or you're not really saved. You're not really following God. And they think, okay, well, Jesus plus the law is everything. But Paul goes, no, are you serious? That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's just Jesus. This is a life and this is a death issue. Faith in Jesus equals life, people. And if you're doing anything other than that, y'all, you're getting busy dying. And so he's pulling out all these stops. He's being super direct. And we'll just start with what he said in Galatians uh, chapter 3. Uh, we're starting with verse uh, 15. It says, he says, well, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. And now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. And it doesn't say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, it doesn't annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So what he's talking about is typically whenever you made a covenant or a law or you put a will or a testament together for somebody, you usually sealed that bad boy up and you put these seals on it and it could not be broken, it could not be opened up until the person died, and you broke the seals, you open it up, and that was the way it was, it was done. And so the law 
had been kind of like that. God put the law in place, and it was like that. And Jesus comes along, and he was the one who broke those seals, and it is all said, and it's all done. Now, the law had been a good thing. It, it diagnosed our sin condition. The example that Craig used at the beginning of this series that I loved, he said, well, it's kind of like an MRI machine. Why do you go under an MRI machine? What well, shows you what is going wrong in your body. But, you know, if you looked at a doctor, you got the MRI, and it showed you had a problem. And you said, well, hey, doc, um, what do I need to do now? He said, well, I think we'll just come, and we'll just keep week by week, we'll just keep running you under that MRI machine again. You'd be like... Uh, heck no, you're not. I'm going to go get a different doctor because that's not going to heal me. It's just going to point to my problem. Well, and what Paul, basically what Paul's saying, well, you know, the law didn't come to save you, to heal you. It shows you what your problem is, but it's pointing us ahead that, well, you're going to need Christ. The Old Testament just over and over points us to the New Testament, to the fact we're going to need Christ. And so for Paul, he's looking and saying, okay, so the law, yeah, that was a covenant. Jesus filled it up and he gave us a new covenant. And what's the key to that one? Well, it's keeping his law. It's we put our faith in him. We trust in him and his promises. We live life his way. And so the way I would compare this is this. So when I was in college, I started college in 2004. And I think if I remember right, that was the same year that Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook. Uh, at the time, it was called The Facebook. But at first, not every college was added to it. At the time, Facebook, not just anyone could get a profile. You had to be a college student. You had to have literally a college email, and your college had to have like uh, been a part of their database. Well, so I'm going to Taylor University, and they weren't part of the database yet. So we were not the cool, connected kids at that time, and we all wanted to be. And so there were some knockoffs that started to pop up. So one of them that popped up was called College Facebook. And it was a way you could connect. And basically all the schools that weren't cool enough to be connected to Facebook yet jumped onto college Facebook. And so we all would get profiles on this. And I can remember like talking to my best friend from high school. He'd be like, dude, can you connect with me on Facebook? He went to Marion University in Indianapolis. I was like, well, uh, I can't, man. I've got college Facebook. He's like, what's that? I'm like, it's kind of this knockoff. Doesn't work, man. We'll have to talk on AIM, okay? And so that's what we did. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it sounds really lame. It, it sounded lame then. It sounds especially lame now, 15 years later. But what I remember was finally at some point, Taylor University got connected with Facebook. So we all left our college Facebook profiles behind. Nobody's on that anymore. It's fine. We got our new profiles and we're making friendships with people all over the country at other colleges. It's great. And what I remember was at the time, we would get notifications within your network of who had gotten a profile um, on these sorts of sites. And so a few months in after Facebook, I remember looking in this one girl who was super shy, didn't get out much, struggled to like go live a good social life. I got this notification and it said, uh, I'll just call her, what will I call her? I'll call her Sam. And it said, Sam just got a profile on college Facebook. And I remember looking and being like, oh my gosh, girl. Your social life's already in the toilet, but now you're really going to be dying because nobody is on college Facebook anymore. You need to be on the real Facebook, you know, and, 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 and eventually she did like a year and a half later or something, and uh, her social life finally got kick-started and she wasn't dying uh, in, in the social scene, but I just, that really stuck with me, and I think that's kind of what Paul is getting after. He's like, you know, the law, it worked, it did its purpose, but there's something better, something that's going to really give you life, and it's Jesus. It's not the Old 
covenant law. So verse 19, let's keep reading. It says, well, why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions, sins, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So we're reading this, and you're like, what? What is going on? So, so here's the deal. So when the law was put in place, uh, God had intermediaries helping him. You know, the angels came and, and helped deliver this to Moses. He was the intermediary, all right? So he was the one who did that. And, but it says here that the new covenant is going to be done by God himself. So Jesus is God. He comes, and he is the one who puts this new covenant in place. He is the one that Abraham, he was Abraham's offspring. He was the descendant of Abraham who's going to save us, and he does this new thing. And so you had the old law, you had the old covenant law, the law of Moses, and did some good stuff. It restrained sin. It revealed sin. It demonstrated God's character, kind of pointed to what he was like. But ultimately, it showed that we really need Jesus. It couldn't justify us itself. You know, when you're justified, it means that you can go and you are in right standing. You can stand before God. Well, the law couldn't do that, but it could kind of point us to the fact this is coming, this is coming. But this new covenant, oh, God himself is coming. He says, this is so important, this is so crucial. This is going to be the center point of my rescue plan that y'all sinned uh, and, and you caused this separation. That's going to be healed and it's going to be this new covenant. Oh, it's going to be this beautiful thing. I got to go do this myself. And I can remember listening to this podcast and it was with the guy who, uh, his name was Frank, and he was the CEO of Home Depot many years ago. And at Home Depot, I think they'd been in a tough spot when he first came on, and he said, man, I have to really, more than ever, I've got to be super hands-on and let people know I really care about this company, but I don't just care about the bottom line, I care about the people who help us get there. And so he just started writing thank you notes not just to managers and people who are like franchisees. He wrote thank you notes to individual employees. And then he started going and visiting locations all over the U.S. It was this crazy undertaking. And at one point, he had this person come up. He was at a store one day, and it had been known, hey, Frank's coming. And this, uh, this woman comes up to him and says, hey, Frank, um, you know that note that you sent me? And she said her name. He said, okay, cool, you got a note. He goes, yeah, I'm going to need another one. He said, well, why would you need another one? I already wrote you one. So, well, because I got your note and I was thinking, there's no way that this was actually handwritten by you. It was probably just printed out and you had a secretary do it. But I looked and I thought the ink looked kind of real. And so I went into the sink and I put it under the sink and sure enough, the ink ran like it was written with an actual ink pen. But now I don't have the note anymore, but I really want your note. Will you write me another note? <laughs> you know? And it was like, and, and, and he thought this was really funny, but it was cool because he showed this is so important. He said, I can't have a secretary do this. I can't have this come off of a printer. I have to go and let people know I care about you, and you need to know this came straight from me. So with the new covenant, when Jesus comes, that's the thing. God said, you got to know it comes straight from me. I'm the only one who can do this. So verse 21, moving on, it says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Oh, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, well, then righteousness, right standing, it would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin 
so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So Paul's basically saying, you know, the law, it was kind of more of a preventative thing. It really was like a big old Band-Aid. I have a couple of Band-Aids on my finger because you know, yesterday I spent a lot of the day ripping up carpet and um, flooring, and then I went home and I had to burn a bunch of brush. And, and so I've got these Band-Aids on here, but it's mostly a preventative thing. I don't want it to get infected. I didn't want to be up here teaching. I talk with my hands a lot, and I didn't want to, like, rub it raw. You know, so it's kind of doing that. But I look forward to the time that, you know, healing is going to come for my fingers. I do not intend for these to stay on. If they did, they, you know, band-aid. You give them, like, four hours, they get slimy. They start turning black and peeling, and then they, they tickle, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I need a new band-aid. You're just going to have to slap another one on. Well, the law kind of worked like that. And so we say, well, what... Jesus didn't come for a while. People were left waiting. How did that work? Well, because they remembered, you know what? God had made this promise to Abraham that he's going to bless all of his descendants. And that promise, it's that one's still going. You know, just because the law came, now that promise to Abraham, it's still standing. It still stands now. And so people for years knew, you know, God says that he's going to send someone to deal with sin. He's going to send somebody. And even though Jesus hadn't showed up, people had faith. He's going to show up. God said he'd show up. We're going to trust that he's going to show up. And so those were the people that uh, they knew sin is going to get dealt with. This Band-Aid's going to come off. It's going to be this beautiful thing. But when you have that faith, and when we have that faith, it's kind of this cool thing because it says we follow the law of Christ. Brad likes to call it the law of love. And it, it was summed up by Jesus. He said, well, you've got to just remember two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbors as yourself. And he said, I'm sending you out on this mission. And the cool thing is, all people are going to need to know, to know that you're one of my disciples, that you follow me, is they're going to watch. How do you love each other? That's how they're going to know that you're my disciples. And that is when the true freedom is going to come. And so you could almost look like it as, well, it's like going from a tie-out cable of a dog to an invisible dog fence. Now, I've heard people talk about that. You know, you have your dog on the line, and the dog, they just go and they just jerk on it. You know, my, our, our dog, we have to put her out on one sometimes, and she just jerks, and she just gnaws on that cable, and she's already chewed through two of them. It's obnoxious, and she'll just do that. And she'll jerk and jerk and jerk, um, and we don't have an invisible fence. We're not that cool, but we live far enough off the road that she has her freedom. But you talk to people about the invisible fence and just how it just changes their dog's mindset. You know, the dog still has a boundary, but it's like, I can truly live and I can do the things dogs are meant to do. Well, that's kind of what Jesus did. You know, we still have parameters. He still said things that told us how to live, what to do, not to do. But there's this true freedom because we know our sin's being dealt with. The Band-Aid is coming off. Here, let's wrap this up. It says, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, and we were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So before faith came, before we could trust in Jesus, we knew who he was, we were a lot like Andy and Red, in the clip that we watched earlier, you know. And Andy, Andy's the one, he's the one that has faith. He has hope. Red, he's the skeptic, going, I, I'm not so sure about this. Don't know if that's actually going to pan out. 
And when we follow Jesus, we have this definition of what faith is. In Hebrews 11, it said, well, faith is this. It's being sure of what you hope for, and it's being certain of things that you haven't seen. You know, it's like, it's like Andy, who he had this hope. He said, I'm locked up now. I'm going to be free. Uh, I'm going to endure being in prison. I'm going to get out of this prison. There's a life on the other side of this. Well, the law had been kind of this, it had this cool function. You notice what it said? It said the law was like a tutor, like a guardian. And in the ancient world, in Paul's day, a lot of times a tutor or a guardian was somebody that it was likely a slave in your house, but it was kind of like a nanny, uh, so to speak. It was like a nanny slash tutor, and they would just really play this really key role in teaching a child what they needed to know, uh, doing the basics, bathing them, dressing them, all those sorts of things. And, and it was this crucial role. And a lot of times when people came into adulthood, you know, they didn't need this guardian tutor anymore. It was this person that was very dear to them. It was almost like an, uh, like an aunt or a grandmother, something like that. They had protected them. They'd nurtured them. They prepared them for life. And a lot of times they would look and go, why are you a slave? I don't look at you as a slave. I look at you like a member of my family. And they would free them. You know, and they, they, would, they would free them. And then they'd go and they could truly live. Well, and so, you know, that, that, that's kind of where we're at. You know, some of us, we tend to think according to law. We think, I just got to do the right thing. I got to be about the right thing. I got to do more good than bad. Some of us fall into thinking, Brad talked about all those small R religions that we chase after. We chase after that, but we're called to live free and live faithfully in Christ. Some of you know that my grandpa, um, this is kind of the universal symbol in our culture for school teachers, you know, apple a day keeps the doctor away, apple a day keeps the teacher assuaged or something like that. I guess. But this is kind of the, the symbol. Well, my grandpa, um, when my dad was a little boy, uh, they moved back to Shelby County here. And in 1964, he started with the school system in Shelby County. And he was a principal at Little Marion. He went on to Hendricks and Pearson. Uh, in 1984, he became the first computer teacher in the county at the old junior high. Any of y'all attend the old junior high? No building? Yeah, all right, yeah. So you may have had him in class back in the day. And it was interesting because for years, so much of his influence was tied up in, these, in classrooms and offices. But if you watched him later in life, it, it was so cool because it was like he had been set really free. You know, he, he had retired, wasn't a school teacher anymore, wasn't an administrator. But man, there was nothing like watching him run into a, a, a former student um, out somewhere. I remember one time we were at the old Dairy Queen. I, I was a little kid, and uh, there was this couple, and it was prom night. And this couple, they were all dressed up and stuff, and it was a rainy night. There were puddles everywhere. And we had pulled in there, and this couple's over by Dairy Queen, and my grandpa yelled to this couple, hey, how's it going? And they screamed, Mr. Farnsley. And they come sprinting through the puddles. It was, I can only imagine their parents were pretty honked off that they spent all this money on their clothes and they just got it wet. But they were so excited to come and, and see him, and it was, it was just so different. He wasn't confined to this classroom. He could just be himself. He came here to this church, and he just loved just being that figure. And, and when you looked at his life, he, he didn't always know what was coming, but you could look and you could say, you know, I remember there was a lot of good. God did a lot of great things, and there's more to come. You know, I, I look at my grandpa. I see a picture of, of how much there was the old and there was good in that, but that the new that was coming was, was better. He was all about that. How many people embrace teaching computers at the age of 50? You don't do that unless you say the future it's looking really good. And so when I, when I look and we say, well, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get busy living. Well, I'm, I'm a third generation 
get busy living, there's something to live for. So we got to ask ourselves, okay, well, what do we do with this? We said the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. You know, if you're a lawbreaker, you reach for the solution. You reach for the solution. And so, so all of you have been brought to this place today. And when we talk about when you grow in your relationship with Jesus, this is typically how it works. You know, you start off and you kind of explore Jesus. You're asking the questions, figuring out what it's all about. And after you've made a decision to follow him and put your faith in him, well, then you start growing in him. And then over time, after a while, you, you've grown and you've grown and you realize, wow, I'm really starting to get close to Christ. You know, I'm, I'm, you really look at my life and you'd say, oh, okay, I see where they're going. And then you, you keep growing and get more faithful and God works in your heart and your mind. And then you get to the point you're centered on Christ where people look and go, holy cow, literally Jesus is the most important thing. He is in the center and everything else revolves around that. We need to ask where we are. So I would ask you today, do you feel like you're exploring? Maybe you haven't even made a decision, but you're thinking about it. Are you at the point you say, I made the decision, but I'm still growing. I don't even know if I'm close to Jesus. Are you saying, no, no, I'd say I'm close to Jesus. I see the wheels turning. I see my decisions changing, how my thought patterns being transformed, my heart, my desires are shifting. Or you say, you know, I think maybe I'm there. I think Jesus is at the center, and I'm learning what does that really mean. So I'd ask, where are you? You're in one of those four places. Are you growing? Or Sorry, are you exploring? Are you growing? Are you close or are you centered? Because that is the place that you've been brought to. The law brings us to this point. It leads us to Christ. We are coming before Jesus where you're at. Just be honest about where you're at. Now, we would say everything comes into your life to lead you to Jesus. So I'd say, how do you, knowing where you're at, need to be more intentional? We've been really challenging folks to remember, well, what is a disciple? And we've been looking at Jesus' words in Matthew 4.19 where he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we said a disciple is those three things right there in that verse. A disciple is following Jesus. A disciple is being changed by Jesus. And a disciple is on mission for Jesus. We're doing what Jesus did. And so on all three of those fronts, if we're a disciple to Jesus, we're taking steps in all those areas. And so I would ask you, how are you doing following Jesus? You know, are, are you in his word and letting it speak to you just like it was speaking to us when Jane read those verses today? You know, are, are you being changed by Jesus and are you noticing when you get con- those little convictions? You know, when you're out and about and you, you see somebody in the grocery store aisle and you see them and you're like, I don't want to talk to that person. And all of a sudden you feel this conviction of you need to talk to that person. It's important. And you're like, okay. I'll go, I'll do that, clearly it's important. And you go and you have that conversation, you know, or you're the parent and you just, you're snapping at your kid and then that, that voice from somewhere says, hey, hey, that's, that's, not, that's not how you show them a picture of me. You need, to, you need to discipline them, but you need to do it out of love. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna parent differently. Are you being faithful in those moments? Or when you're on, on, on mission for Jesus, are you looking at, man, every chance I run into anyone at work, at school, even when I'm out on vacation, you know, I, I'm going to be ready to do that. I, I had a moment, Sarah and I went to this concert. Um, it was a great concert. It was for King and Country. We go to Banker's Life Fieldhouse, and on the way back, I decided I want, wanted dessert, but it was too late to get dessert anywhere. So we get ready to go into Walmart, and I had just been a royal jerk to my wife. We'd had this great concert, and I snapped. And, and I, I just was... I was just being really mean. I was not being kind. And we get to the point, we go to Walmart, 
and I'd lost my appetite because I'd been such a jerk. I couldn't even focus on it. I'm like, let's just go home. So we're getting ready to go home, and all I'm thinking is I just want to go home, I want to get my sweatpants on, and I want to eat something super unhealthy for me, and I want to sit and watch YouTube videos because the NFL is doing their countdown of the 100 greatest players of all time. And sure enough, my wife looks over, and there's a truck parked over there, and it's this young couple, and they're out there, and it looks like they need a jump. And she said, hey, I, I think God's saying we need to stop and talk to these people. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm so ticked. She goes, no, I, I, th I think we're supposed to. So, to my wife's credit, we get out of the truck, and it turns out they don't have jumper cables. We don't have jumper cables. They've gotten a hold of some help. But, but it was really cool because this guy said, man, thank you so much for stopping. I don't, I don't know who would have done that. You know, and, and I really hope, if, if you're that person and you were there, I'd love to talk with you after the service, but I hope, man, God, looking back, I'm like, man, I hope you used that moment where I just begrudgingly followed and my wife was like, we got to be faithful about this. Well, are, are you doing that in your life? Those moments, are you just saying, man, Jesus, you're at the center. I don't feel like it at all, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you're telling me to do. You know, we need to ask ourselves, am I, am I really busy living for Jesus? Or am I just getting busy dying? Is that how I feel? So the cool thing is, if you watch Shawshank, um, you get down to the end of the movie, and Andy's hope kind of pays off. His faith uh, did not go unanswered. Uh, and it, it turns out just really cool. And I just want you to see what happens. This is when Red... He, Red does actually get out. He gets his freedom, and he's gone, and he's just been like a worker bee. And then he says, you know, I'm going to go, and Andy told me he was going to plant something that I could go look, and Andy has hidden this box somewhere in this location. So Red has gone to this location. He says there has to be more than just being a worker bee working in a grocery store for him. And he, he goes, he opens this box, and there's a letter and a bunch of cash in it. And so check out what happens when Red reads this letter from Andy. I saw those names written up there, and it said Brooks was here, and it said so was Red. Well, Brooks was one of their buddies in prison who got out, and he decided life wasn't worth living, and he just got busy dying. He killed himself in that spot, and Red went to that same spot and said, no, I'm going to get busy living, and he made that decision. And so we've got this decision this morning. So as the band comes up, and they're going to lead us in a final song, um, do the things that God is prompting you to do. If you need to receive prayer for anything, literally anything, swing up here to the prayer room. Just let us just pray with you and enter that battle of life with you.